Turn with me tonight to Psalm 116. We continue tonight our reading of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. And as you turn there, I wonder tonight, do you find yourself in a difficult situation? One in which you feel helpless to get yourself out of. Tonight we'll read about a psalmist who's in an impossible situation and he feels helpless to get himself out. Read with me Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. O Lord, you have a way of finding us out, and you have a way of meeting us when you do. You have a way of loving us when we need it. And so we pray tonight that you would give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. March 7th, 2014, at 3 a.m., I woke up and my heart was racing. I was sweating. The room was dark. It felt like my heart was about to burst out of the walls of my chest. It felt like the walls of life were caving in on me. I was a few blocks away from the, biggest uni- or the second biggest university in Lviv, Ukraine. There's 20,000 students. I was leading the RUF, our RUF group at that point, and I was at best burned out. Christy and I had just started dating, and I was in the throes of asking the question of, is this the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And as you know, guys can be a little slow when asking that question. I certainly was, even when the answer is obvious. I was on my fourth month of a Ukrainian winter where the skies are gray, snow and ice rarely melt from the earth, 
And on top of that, there was a revolution in the country. Maybe you've seen the Netflix documentary called Winter on Fire. Just two weeks prior to this date, as a part of the revolution, the president of the country, who the people are trying to oust, had put snipers on the rooftops in the capital in Kiev, and they were t- taking out civilians left and right, February 21st, 2014. And me and the rest of the people in the country are feeling all of the psychological effects of war, that people we know are dying in the streets. The walls of life were closing in on me, and I was experiencing my first panic attack. But we know that we were not made for such situations. In fact, our bodies are screaming out to us in those moments that something or a lot of somethings are wrong. And we know in the deepest parts of our humanity that we were made to walk with God in the cool, in the peace and in the cool of the garden. We weren't meant to experience disillusionment. We weren't meant to experience death, illness, burnout. But like the psalmist, our lives are filled with these sort of things, deathly illnesses, severe despondence. And like the psalmist, we too need the Lord's deliverance. But you don't always call out upon the Lord. And when he delivers you, you don't always Respond to him, and neither do I. But we must learn from the psalmist tonight that in times of desperation, because God hears you, you must call upon the Lord. That's our big idea for tonight is that because God hears you, you must call upon the Lord. And our two main points, we're just going to split that into two halves. The first main point is God hears you. And we see that in verses 1 through 11. The second main point is that you must call upon the Lord. And we see that in verses 12 through 19. So first, God hears you. How does he hear you? What does that look like? Let's look at what's going on in the life of the psalmist. Verse 3 says, The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. In other words, he's in an impossible situation, a stressful situation. The snares of death was a hunting metaphor in the the Old Testament. The cords of death had hemmed him in, and they're dragging him into the grave. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of him means death was clutching at the psalmist and pulling him into the grave. I suffered distress and anguish. His heart is filled with terror and fear that it's all coming to an end. And he continues in verse 8, death engulfed me. My eyes were flooded with tears. My feet were stumbling, slipping lower and lower into the grave. Are you with him? Have you been there? Can you, can you feel what he's feeling? Now look with me in verse 6. It says, the Lord preserves the the simple. And the word simple is found in the Proverbs a lot of times. And it means simple-minded, naive, immature, helpless. Have you felt that way before? You're in a situation, you just, you don't, you can't think your way out of it. You just feel helpless and like you can't hack it. You, You don't know what to do. That's where he is. And so what does he do? Verse 4, he says, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And this is the turning point 
And as we'll see, this lesson was not forgotten. And what happens? Notice what he says in in verses 1 and 2. He says, Yahweh heard my voice. He heard my pleas for mercy. You know what it's like to feel heard when that friend or that spouse or pastor or counselor looked at you and they saw you, they heard you, they felt what you were experiencing. This is where the psalmist is. And then again in verse 2, Yahweh inclined his ear to me. this, This word inclined means to stoop down like a father does to a child. The Lord stoops down to hear your prayers. But why is the psalmist so focused on being heard? Didn't he pray for deliverance? Why is he so focused on being heard? Well, remember, this is an Egyptian Hallel psalm that was probably sung by the ancient Israelites at the remembrance of Passover. And so in light of this, we might be permitted to read Psalm 116 as a hymn sung by the ancient Israelites in thanksgiving of deliverance from Egypt. And if so, they would have rehashed the stories and they might have come across Exodus 3, 7 through 8 when God meets Moses at the, at the burning bush and he's telling Moses, he's sending Moses to Egypt, but when he gives Moses the reason of why he's going to Egypt, listen to his words, the words of the Lord. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people who were in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I will. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. So God sees you, he hears you, he knows you and he comes to deliver you. He is personal, he is there, he speaks, he acts, he intervenes. And for this reason, the psalmist breaks out in love for the Lord. I love the Lord, he says in verse 1, because he's heard me. He's inclined his voice, and he stooped down to hear me. God's not some sort of superman. He's not a doctrine. He's not an idea. He's a personal creator who's gracious, who's righteous, who's compassionate, and he's waiting to hear from you. He delivers your feet from stumbling. He delivers your eyes from tears. He deals bountifully with you and makes your feet to walk in the land of the living. Instability gets replaced by stability. Insecurity by security. Loneliness is replaced with comfort and disillusionment is replaced with purpose and triumph and favor. But I recognize tonight that some of you might not feel heard. You might feel like God's hand is not active in your life and you're thinking, what about me? He hasn't dealt bountifully with me. I don't see him. I resonate with that. I've had seasons in my life when God seemed distant, when you're living for long periods of time without deliverance. But let me answer your dilemma with a story that gets at our human needs and our longings in times of distress. A couple of weeks ago, we were at the beach. We went to the beach with the whole uh, Norton's and, and Williams family. And we decided that we needed to give the, the girl cousins some adventure. And so we decided to take them out and go crabbing at night. Now, when we told Emma, our three-year-old, what we were doing, like, Emma, we're going to go out on the beach, and we're going out with flashlights and nets, and we're going to look for crabs. And she's like, yeah, yeah, is Betsy going? 
And you're like, yeah, yeah, Betsy's going. And she's like, okay, you know, I'm all in. But she has no clue what she's about to do. And so we packed up the nets, buckets, flashlights. We headed to the beach at night, head, go down the, the boardwalk. Feet hit the sand and the air is full of tension. And the adults are all waiting, right, for that first scream. And sure enough, pretty quickly, there it goes. And I think that's what you actually, as an adult, that's what you go for. You go for the screams. That's the fun part. But there comes the first scream. I've got Emma's hand, and we hear the first scream. And, and to her, much to her amazement, we run towards the scream. We run towards the scream. And she lays her eyes on that first crab, and she finally understood what we were doing. And she crawled up me like a tree and latched onto me with the claws of death. And she didn't touch the ground after that. The whole night, it was exhausting. Why would she do this? Because when we are enduring threat, pain, or suffering, we want someone strong to be with us. We want the presence of someone that we love. Similarly, I was on my parents' back porch a couple of weeks ago, sitting in the chair while our kids eat dinner, and my wife walks up to me, and by the countenance of my face, she knows I'm not doing well. And so she says, what can I do? With, without thinking, I responded saying, just be here with me. I just want you, I just want to be with you. So what's going on in these stories? Like the psalmist, our basic human response, our need, our longing when we're grappling with pain and disillusionment or some sickness, is for someone that we love, someone stronger to be with us, to be present with us. And this need is ultimately met in God the Father. Not only is he there with you, not only is he there, but he's with you. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He sympathizes with you. And when you're in the snares of death, you need the means of life, and the God of the Bible offers that. So you are heard you are seen, you are known, and the God of the Bible is personal, and he acts to deliver you. But what must you do in response? We must ask the question the psalmist asks in verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? Main point two is that you must call upon the Lord. The psalmist shows a, a plethora of ways that we're to call upon the Lord. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word call, but communication is certainly at the heart of it. And communication has vastly changed in recent decades, in the last three decades, let's say. That's while I've been alive. You've got texting. You've got Zoom. You've got, I remember coming home and, and seeing seeing uh, doorbell cameras. Someone can ring your doorbell and you can answer it from the back room. All of our calling, all of our communication is getting more and more distant. I wonder if our prayer is getting that way too. But when the psalmist calls, about, calls upon the Lord in verse 4, he calls upon the name of the Lord. To call upon someone's name is it means intim intimacy. 
His calling doesn't feel like a Zoom call. It's personal. It's intimate. It's honest. It's raw. It's not withholding anything. It's not praying the nice prayer. It's letting it all out there because God can handle it. What what does he call for as he calls out? Well, he calls out for deliverance. We saw that in verse 4 from his temporal circumstances. But in verse 13, he calls out in remembrance for the Lord's deliverance. He says, I lift up the cup of salvation. And then in verse 17, he calls out in thanksgiving. So he calls out in remembrance. He calls out in thanksgiving. How does he call? He calls with resolve. Hear the words of verse 2 again. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon the Lord as long as I live. In verse 13, he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. 14, I will pay my vows. 17, I will call out in thanksgiving. 18, I will pay my vows. He calls out with resolve. So call out to the Lord in thanksgiving, remembering his acts of deliverance, and call out with resolve. To what extent does the psalmist call out to the Lord? In verse 15, he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now when you hear precious is the death, It makes it sound like death's a a good thing. But the psalmist has just spent several lines talking to us about deliverance from death. So many commentators say that a better translation for this word is costly is the death. Heavy is the death of a saint to the Lord. And so what does that mean? It means that the Lord wants you alive. And why does he want you alive? He wants you alive because he wants you to reflect his glory until unto all the earth. So your life is precious to him and he wants all of it. And so how do you do this in verse 16? We do this through service. He says, "Oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant," he repeats, "the son of your maid servant." In other words, he wants your whole life and your whole life is to be lived in service to the Lord. So he calls out in remembrance. He calls out in thanksgiving. He calls out with resolve. And he calls out with his whole life in acts of service. Lastly, where does he call? Where does he do this calling? In 14, it says he does it in the presence of the people. Verse 18, in the presence of the people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. Now this is, why would he he do this? Why would he run to the presence of God's people? You know, if, if I experience some sort of great deliverance, I've got this sense that I need to go to the prisons. I need to go to Ukraine. I need to go, I need to hold up that light in the darkest places. He does something interesting though. He goes to the presence of the people of God. To proclaim this work. Why would he do that? In the Old Testament. Abraham. God tells Abraham. You're going to be a great nation. And you're going to bless. All the other nations. Right? So, he, so God gives Abraham this grand mission. For the entire globe. And when he does that. The, the mission is two directional. It's a moving out to the nations. Israel is to move out to the nations, but it's also a, a drawing in, an aroma of life and death. They're to be a light. They're to be a city on a hill. They are to show what it looks like to live in the presence of the Lord. 
So there's a moving out and there's a drawing in sense in the, in the mission of God. And so the psalmist runs to the church. He runs to the church to talk about this deliverance, to proclaim this deliverance. Why? So that the church would be insular and they would just kind of stay together? No, because he wants to radiate God's deliverance. And he wants the church to radiate God's deliverance to the nations. He wants them to be a new people for a new world. But what does this look like to call upon God with your whole life? In November of last year, Christy's best friend Katya had a birthday. Uh, birthday. She was turning 27. And she did what uh, t- you know, people do. She invited friends over to her apartment to celebrate her birthday. So there were eight people in total. Uh, six of us, uh, six of those people go to our church plant in Lviv, a Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity in Lviv, Ukraine. So we attend that church plant, and then there were two others, Petro and Lina, who have been around our RUF group for years, but they don't go to our church. Petro, at best, is a, a deist, and, and Lina is an agnostic. And so we're all there together for Katya's birthday, and we're eating cake, and we, we love being together. And Katya's pretty ambitious. And so somebody says, like, we, we need to give Katya some challenges for the next year. So for her 27th year, so they're just full. It's big. It's great. And so people start, you know, throwing out challenges. You've got to read 27 books in your 27th year. Katya's like, whoa. Christia challenged Katya, you, you've been around the world. You became a believer through the work. It's time for you to become a church member. I want to see that happen in your 27th year of life. And by God's grace, Katya became a church member in March. Knowing Katya and her hospitality, I thought it would be great for Katya to start a dinner club. Get together with people you love every month of your 27th year. And she's, she's as hospitable as they come. She loves that kind of thing. It's a blessing to her and it's a blessing to others. So she took it to heart with all the challenges, took all of them to heart, but she took the hospitality one to heart. And that group has been gathering together since November every month, cooking a different meal from a different country, some sort of different cuisine each time. And this group, is, it's the tightest of friends. We laugh together. We cry together. They watch us raise our kids together. Petro and Lena are, 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 are involved in putting the kids to bed, praying, singing the psalms. Everybody's in there together. There's joy. There's vulnerability. It's what you want a young adult's fellowship in your church plant to be. And Petro and Lina are drawn to this group. Why are they drawn to this group? They're not drawn to the group because of some sort of apologetic or some sort of philosophical idea. They're drawn because of the love that they see, because of that vulnerability, because of that joy, because of the respect and love in the families where we do this. They're drawn because of the call of God upon our lives. And what they see plucks at the cords of their soul. And so just like the dinner club is this place, it's an aroma of life and death to Petro and Lina. The psalmist runs to the people of God to radiate his devotion, to talk about the deliverance so that the people of God are encouraged. They see God at work. So how are we to do that? How are we to call upon the Lord tonight in such a way? You must believe that God is there. 
that he is not silent, that he is present, that he hears you, that he sees you, and that he wants to deliver you. If you've never submitted to God, then he will not deal bountifully with you. He, in fact, is dangerous until you submit to him. But because of Jesus Christ, he is waiting, longing to be gracious. The Father is longing to be gracious and compassionate to you. Or maybe tonight you're in that place where disillusionment has kind of pushed you towards apathy. I challenge you, don't sit there in your apathy. Don't let your apathy lull you to sleep. Come up with your questions. Think about your questions. Do the hard work. The, the psalmist picked up a journal. Pick up a journal. Write it down. Go get coffee with a, with a friend. Think about your questions so that the apathy doesn't lull you to sleep. Joe Novison says, Our greatest problem is drifting, dullness, like a ship at sea or a knife. Do nothing and the ship will drift. The knife will dull. So if you find yourself in that place tonight, take action. Don't let it lull you to sleep. The people of God will lose if you do that. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're eager to call upon the Lord. The Lord's delivered you in some way. Well, let this psalm in which the love of the Father comes pervasively to you do what it did for the psalmist. In the psalmist, it awakened love in him. Let it awaken Love and you call out to him with his acts of deliverance. Sing songs of thanksgiving to him. Find ways you can give up your life in service to him. And build up his church so that she is radiant. So that she is an aroma of life and death. What must you do? What must you do to make IPC a church that is a new people for a new Memphis, what's your role in that? When I was in my, having my panic attack, the brothers and sisters in Lviv, they did that for me. They, 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 they came to me. The next six months of my life were pretty hard. But they came. They were there for me. They let me sleep in their houses for months at a time because I was a, a single guy. They fed me. They told me God is there. He's with you. He's faithful. He will bring you out. And you know what? He did. The Lord saw me. He heard me. And he carried me through. So why did God write this psalm to you and me? He wrote it to show you that he loves you. He wrote it to awaken a response of love in you. How does he show this love. Let's look at the psalm through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus may have read this psalm before the Passover with the disciples in the upper room just prior to Gethsemane. So let's read it, parts of it again. I'm going to read parts of it again, and let's read it through his eyes. Thursday night, Passover, he knows what's before him. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. 
Deliver me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I feel like I'm slipping into the grave, Father. But unlike you, unlike me, when Jesus called upon the Lord, he was not heard. He was not seen. The Father, out of love for you, turned his face away that he might deal bountifully with you. The snares of death encompassed him. They pulled him into the grave. His eyes filled with tears. His feet slipped. He didn't lift up the cup of salvation, but he drank the cup of wrath. And you know what? He did this volitionally for you. John 10, 17 and 18 say, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And because of him, you are heard. Because of him, you are seen. You are known. You are delivered. Because of him, God is gracious, compassionate, and merciful. And because of him, you will one day walk before the Lord in the land of the living. But God didn't leave Jesus in death. He resurrected him, didn't he? And because of death, because of this, death has lost its sting. And we will one day truly know what it's really like to be seen by the Father, to be heard by Him, to be known by Him. We will experience ultimate deliverance. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we praise You because You've done something we could never do. You've rescued us from the pit. You've saved our lives and you did it through your son. All praise and honor and glory be to him. Amen.